The following podcast is a Dear Media production. How do I ask my boss for a raise? I'm so jealous of my coworker's promotion. I just don't know what to do. Is there a good way to brag about my accomplishments, you know, without sounding like a complete jerk? Careers are complicated and there are so many hush-hush topics we're told we can't talk about. That's why you have the Career Contessa podcast, a weekly advice show that takes your workplace dilemmas and offers you a better way forward. I'm your host, Lauren McGoodwin, and each week I'm joined by experts to help you overcome your workplace woes with actionable advice that you can use today. Subscribe to the Career Contessa podcast and make progress in your career every Tuesday. It's Mariana and welcome back to the Life with Mariana podcast. In this episode, I've got Barbara Corcoran. She is a shark from Shark Tank. You guys probably know who she is because I love this show. I literally, every time I watch it, I get so inspired, motivated, excited while I'm watching it. I end up actually like buying so many of the products I see on the show, whether they end up getting a deal or not. So in this episode, we talk all about her morning routine, how she handles her busy schedule and why experimenting with your career is a good thing. So she is all about trying and changing jobs out until you figure out the right thing that works for you. I also asked her how to start a business without a lot of money and how to apply for Shark Tank. And before we get into the episode, I would love if you guys could share this with a friend or on your Instagram stories and tag me and Barbara. If you're listening to it, wherever you are, we would love to hear if you are motivated or inspired by this. And if you're loving the podcast, I would love if you could leave me a five-star rating. It only takes a second to do. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast because I've got new episodes every single Tuesday. And I can't believe that the holidays are around the corner. I just can't believe that it's so soon, which means we have our limited edition Summer Fridays products that are out just for the holidays. The first is our fragrance rollerball trio it is incredible it's got soft vanilla coconut wave and crisp citrus these are fragranced oils they smell so incredible soft vanilla is my favorite and because we love the soft vanilla smell so much we also made it available in a candle the candle is available now summerfridays.com and at sephora it smells so good when you light it it just smells like the warmest coziest day i'm obsessed with it so i'm glad i get to wear it as a perfume and also as a candle We've also got a skincare limited edition set. So this is a value set. So you're getting a full-size jet lag mask. So if you're already a fan of jet lag, we've got a full size in there plus a mini size cleanser and a mini soft reset. So this is your full evening skincare routine. All you need is these three steps. And so you can use the three of those together. It makes an amazing gift for yourself or for someone else. And it comes in a really cute little bag. This is only limited edition for the holidays. Once it's gone, it's gone um, for all of these products. So pick them up at summerfridays.com or Sephora. Now let's hear from Barbara. So what is your morning routine like? It's not very fancy. I get up and I feel accomplished that I got my butt out of the bed. Uh, I do work out three mornings a week at 7 a.m. I hate it every morning and I've been doing it for probably 30 years. But um, I keep sneakers at my bed so that all I have to think about is all you have to do is get those feet in those sneakers if I get out of the bed barefooted, it's hopeless. If I get my feet in the sneakers with my pajama bottoms on, I am motivated. It's just a psychological thing. But my sneakers are my best friend in the morning to motivate me. That is such an amazing tip. What I do is like I put on my yoga pants. So as if I have my yoga pants next to my bed when I wake up, I'm already uh, dressed to work out. So it's like the same kind of idea. You have so much going on. So do you have any hacks or tips for productivity or how you kind of handle everything you have in your day? Well, I'm by nature a very organized person. I'm not comfortable if anything's out of order, one of those type of people. Uh, and as I think a result of 
or an extension of my personality. I'm a big believer in chunking up my day, chunking up my life. I do everything in chunks because if not, everything's in tiny pieces and I feel like I don't get my money's worth. Okay. So for example, uh, when I get out of bed uh, on a work day, I'm already thinking work, hyper-focus. I can't think of a thing other than work, what's on my plate. And even when I get into the office or when I was working at home, I separated the days of the week into different activities. So for example, Monday, I did planning, brainstorming, anything that was on the softer side of life or business. Tuesday, I did editing, writing, research. Wednesday, I do all my media chunked together. Otherwise, I'm preparing for it all week long. I just jam it all in one day, etc. So I always do that with work. With home, uh, I divide my, my day into family time and play time. It doesn't always come together, you know, with kids and husbands. So I purposely will chunk out half a Saturday to make sure I have something in the morning that I'm going to really love to do that's fun. Otherwise, you just hang around the house and you start doing chores. Not very exciting. And when I'm with my family, I'm 150% with them so that I can focus and be present and really enjoy it. And so I'm a big chunker, I guess is the word to do it. Chunk, chunk, chunk. And it's all written in my calendar, the chunks, so that they appear in a way uh, as uh, large appointments. That's really smart. I think that helps too, because then your brain's not switching between different type of tasks. So you're really like focusing on one thing at a time. Yeah. And you know what? I think today everybody's uh, acting like the HGHD or ADD or whatever the initials are. And, and I am not that way. And yet I find as time goes on, I'm more that way. I'm wondering if I need some medication because my mind jumps, jumps, jumps with all the social stuff coming at your phone, everything. It's very, very hard. I think I have to put in more muscle into staying focused to counteract all the forces that are getting you to measure and live in little bites, you know? One of the things that you shared is how you didn't have good grades when you were in school. And I know you went through a lot of career changes in your 20s. What advice would you have for other women in their 20s who are really going through these same things? You mean having a problem in school or you mean confused in their 20s? I think both, because I think whether you're in college and you're not having good grades or you're in your 20s and you're bouncing around between careers, because even for me, it was like every year I was trying a new job. I was trying to figure out a new thing. And I think now, especially with social, you feel like you're supposed to emerge from college or high school and have your dream job. And it doesn't happen that way. There's so many things that happen that lead you to eventually what you do in life. I think you find your dream self, your dream job, your purpose, what you're good at, all of the above by trying different stuff on. You know, like we all go shopping when we're young women or young girls and we want to pick out a great outfit. You don't know what you look good in, what colors are good, what cuts, what sizes, what length of the, the, the skirt. You don't know any of that. Then you kind of say, oh, this looks good. Oh, this is, you know, that's how you find out by trying stuff on. I'm a big believer in the camp of trying things on. Even if you're going to keep a job for three months to see what it's about, generally within three months in a job, you pretty much know what you like and don't like about it. It doesn't take very long. You can pretty much take from the job uh, what you need to have learned. Like, hey, I'm good at this. I'm not good at that. I am a believer when you're young as uh, uh, that it's a time to experiment. I had 22 jobs before I turned 23. What an advantage it was when I stepped into real estate and realized I love this crap, you know? And how did I, did I have an indication I might love it? Could have someone picked that out for me? Could I have picked it out for myself? No, I tried it on. And the minute it was on, it fit like a glove. It was the best fit I ever had. And so um, I am, I, I think, how things go lately is with uh, 
What are you going to be when you grow up? I mean, my I have a daughter who's 15 and people are asking me, what does she want to be when she grows up? I almost want to laugh in people's faces. Who needs that pressure, you know? But I, I just stumbled into what I was supposed to be when I was 23, but I wouldn't have stumbled in that court if I hadn't bumped around like a bumper car and all the other jobs I had. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really good advice because no one at 15 really knows. We've changed, you changed so much, especially in your 20s. Like, and now I think in my 30s, it's way better than my 20s and I'm still evolving and changing. Yeah. Okay, you guys, I love Whey Detox Shampoo. I've used this for so long, basically since it's come out. I literally just got a new bottle to put in my shower, so I can't wait for you guys to learn a little bit more about it. And if you guys want to try it out, use the code Mariana at the Way T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and get 15% off your entire purchase. So let me tell you a little bit about this shampoo. You know, I am always doing so much stuff to my hair and adding so many products. So every once in a while, I need a reset button. And that's when it's time for the clarifying detox shampoo from Way. So sometimes I just really feel like my hair needs a reset and it needs like a detox because sometimes I'm just using too many like dry shampoos and products on my hair or I'm getting my hair styled for different events and I've just got like too much hairspray and stuff in it and I just need it to feel really clean. You know those times where like you just feel like your hair needs a really good washing? Well, you can reset your hair and scalp with the clarifying detox shampoo from Way. So you'll use it once a week to neutralize product buildup, oil and dirt and hard water from your hair and scalp without stripping away any moisture. It is great for all hair types, even hair treated with keratin, chemicals, color, or Brazilian blowout. And it's got this signature way scent. It's called Melrose Place and it smells so good. So it really hides the smell of the apple cider vinegar and it smells like rose and bergamot and lychee. It's amazing. And if you guys don't know, Way was created by celebrity hairstylist and my friend, Jen Atkins. She was also on the podcast. If you guys want to listen to her episode, when you're ready to undo some damage, hit the reset button with the Way Detox Shampoo. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and use code Mariana to get 15% off your entire purchase. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com, code Mariana. So I want to ask you all about starting a business because a lot of people want to be entrepreneurs now. So how do you start a business without capital? Well, you don't need capital for most businesses. When I started my business, I had a $1,000 loan, which sounds like a little. Today, that would be the equivalent of probably $10,000. So I had a lucky break. Boy, that helps. If I hadn't had the lucky break, would I have started the business or would I say that it's my diner waitress that was my job preceding my business? I might still be at the diner. Who knows? You know. But I had a lucky break where I got a boyfriend who a year later, after I was in real estate sales, said, you'd be great at building a business. Why don't I give you $1,000? and I'll be half your partner. I'm like, whoa, I'll try it. Why not? I tried everything else. You know. So I think to start a business, what you really need is you just need to start. And I think even asking the questions, what do I need to start? Sounds a little too left brain for me. And I have, I meet so many people who are going to start their business when they get everything in order. They get their business plan. They want to get their funding. They want to make sure their model is good. Whereas what they all they really needed to do is do a paper mock-up of what they did and show it to a few people and ask them, hey, would you buy this? You know, what would you pay? You know, that kind of quick down and dirty napkin kind of research could happen. But you know what's great about just starting without the answers? You find a way. The odds that you find the right way on paper before you start is very slim. The odds that you will indeed find the way to survive when you're in the mud and you're knee deep 
uh, you find a way if you're an entrepreneur, you find a way, opportunity shows itself, you're, you're desperate for solutions. So I'm just not a believer in, uh, uh, you know, uh, arm's length kind of an approach to business. I think you have an idea, the best moment to start is that very moment, jump in and start it. Because, you know, all ideas, all inspirations, I, I always see them myself. They have been my whole life, like birds floating by, a little white bird. Was that a bird that just went by? You got to reach up and grab it and get it down, pin it down with a pin and get it going, you know? So I just believe that now is always the best time to start a business. Whereas I think the common thought out there is you better get it right. I just think you got to get it going, period. And then you'll find a way to get it right. Yeah. And if you're self-funded and you don't need too much capital at the beginning, I think people think they need to eventually raise money. And so when is it the right time to get an investor or why do you think someone may need an investor? I don't usually honestly believe that people need an investor. I know that uh, you had an investor early in the game and it worked out for you because you had the right partner. You sold a minority share, if I'm not mistaken about what I read, and you were early in the game and needed it to really expand. I believe you would have expanded anyway with or without an investor. Very often, when someone thinks they need an investor, that stops their thought. But the truth is, remove the investor from the equation. What else are you going to do? People usually find a way. I'm a big believer in self-funding, as long and as hard as you possibly can. I mean, there are certain businesses you can't be uh, realistic about that with many of the technology plays out there. You have to have too much staff to hire. It's like impossible unless you're funded. But the minute you get an investor, you tend to waste a lot of money, honestly. You also have another God to answer to. Before the investor walked in, you had one person to please, which was yourself. The second person to please was the customer. Very often the investors, because so many, the great majority do not work out, uh, become the God you serve before you serve the customer or before you serve yourself. You know, and it's confusing, takes time, it's draining, and often slows down the growth of your business. Add on to that, uh, being flush with some cash. You don't spend every buck carefully. When it's your own goddamn money, you're going to squeeze every penny out of a $10 bill. When it's somebody else throwing $100 bills, you almost have an obligation to spend it or you're wrong, you know? So I'm not a big believer in the investor camp. I think self-funding for the great majority of our businesses out there is the right way to go. I think that's great advice. And I think if people are self-funded and then they do eventually, you know, want to get an investor, how do you make sure you don't get a bad partner or get screwed over? Well, if you get an institutional investor, you have no idea because the guy you're talking to might have nothing to do with who you wind up intermingling with day, day in and day out. Uh, but a good rule of thumb, I think, is when when you're looking for any partner, even employee, uh, the same rule of thumb applies. You always want to hire someone with an opposite skill set to you. I mean, why do you want to just get another you? Uh, you know, you could just get an assistant then and be another you, extend your power. Uh, but I think a true partner is someone who brings to the table opposite skills that you have, because that's what every business needs. It needs a full set of cards. So if you got half, you get another guy with the other half, you got beautiful music. I had a partner building the Corcoran Group for 20 some odd years when I built it. And eventually it became a $2 billion business. But if I hadn't had Esther Kaplan as my left brain partner, when I was totally right brain and everything I did, and she was totally left brain and everything she did, I could have never built that business. I know it. She knows it. It was like making music. But if I had hired extensions of myself, I would have never gotten to where I got. I want to ask about Shark Tank because I love, love, love watching it. I think it's so inspiring. And so first question before I get into everything is, if someone wants to apply, how do they apply for the show? 
Well, there's two ways. You can go on the ABC website, abc.com slash Shark Tank. That's the easy way. Or I think a better way is you can DM the lady who runs all the recruiting. Her name is Mindy Zemrak. So if you DM her on Instagram, it's very easy to even remember it. You just DM her at Mindy Casting. That's all. And you and she's going to see your pitch. It's super competitive. So very often the hardest part of getting on anything or doing anything is getting attention. So as a general rule, you always want to go to the head dog. And not just for the show, but in any kind of investor pitch, or if you're DMing someone, what is important for that cold email or that cold pitch, or what should you include? Well, cold doesn't work in any pitch. Cold is like analytical stuff that nobody responds to. You want to hook people in. The only way to hook people in is curiosity or emotion. So I would think that would be the first order of business. Uh, you don't want to make a, a pitch that doesn't have enough skin and flesh on its bones. You know, you have to feel it like that. Uh, a lot of people think it's like a Harvard uh, MBA uh, pitch pitch package, you know, never gets anybody interested. They've seen a million, every investor out there has seen a million. What's going to catch their attention? I know on Shark Tank, which is a gross exaggeration of what turns people on because it's TV versus real life, but there's still commonalities, is you need a great story. You have a great story, people are curious, okay? And the great story, the closer it is to regs, to riches, hard time to good time, heart-wrenching, heartbreaking, anything along that area, you're going to hook somebody in. And with Shark Tank, we have an added element that you don't really get in any other kind of investment area, which is you have to be good on TV. And what's good on TV? High energy, so that you sound like you're shouting and, and popping all over the place, but the TV melts you down. It makes you about half of that. So you have to be able to carry that camera really high, keep the energy high. But uh, in my neck of the woods, which is the TV version of investors, uh, being good on TV is essential. Why would I want to invest in an entrepreneur when they're coming across flat? Because they're never going to air. I'd rather have the Shark Tank effect than sell a million dollars worth of product on the first night they air uh, because they're good on TV. And I can always smell right away who's good on TV, who's not, who's going to air, who's not. Some people fall flat. Uh, you have to sweep people up in your emotion, your enthusiasm, and that's essential. I love this sponsor and it is Skillshare. They've been a longtime sponsor of the podcast and I love that they continuously work with me because I love to be able to share them with you because it's truly one of those things where I feel like you get so much more out of it and it's so worth just like your time to do because every human was like really born to create. So whether you picked up a paintbrush yesterday or in grade school, you can really explore your creativity and be inspired. If you don't know what Skillshare is, it's an online learning community and they really offer membership with meaning. There is so much to explore. They've got real projects to create and you'll get the support of fellow creatives. So Skillshare empowers you to accomplish real growth. So you guys know I am all about taking care of yourself. So try the ultimate self-care playbook with Jonathan Van Ness. It's all about discovering and nurturing your centered self. Another class that I think is really great for so many people to take, especially listening to this episode is productivity for creatives. Build a system that brings out your best with Thomas Frank. If you're listening to this episode, you are probably into entrepreneurship or starting a business. So there are great classes on here to take like turning ideas into high growth businesses, strategy for e-commerce, how to make a business plan, how to handle your finances. So definitely check it out. And I also have a one month free trial premium membership for you to try. 
Skillshare is so incredibly affordable, especially when compared to pricey in-person classes or workshops. An annual subscription is less than $10 a month, but you guys can try it and explore your creativity at Skillshare.com life and get a one month free trial premium membership. So use my link. That's one month of a premium membership for free at Skillshare.com life. Now let's hear more from Barbara. From what of your investments have you seen? It aired that night. And then the next day, it was like an insane amount of orders were coming in. Probably just about every brand I've invested in, because I'm careful who I choose. They have to be good on TV so that I know they air. I want the TV shining on them. So every single business that I, the more consumer geared it is, the bigger the sales. So you have Daisy Cakes, who sold 40 cakes in one year through her junior league, was on Shark Tank. She had one phone line. She had a a website, rudimentary website, with pictures of her cake. And within two minutes, the, the site crashed. That was eight years ago before we knew any better on Shark Tank that you need to have the right technology. But anyway, it crashed. And she has something like $800,000 in orders in two days. What is? How does somebody bake that many cakes? Impossible. But more importantly, how did she take those orders with no website taking orders? Well, she hotwired her one phone line to my offices in New York and left me an early morning message. And our phones were ringing off the hooks because we had you know banks of phones here to take the orders. And that's what we did. We worked for Daisy Cake for probably three weeks' time and took down all of her orders. And people waited for the cakes. But that's an extreme case of not being ready. But that's the that that early in the Shark Tank cycle is how I discovered the power of Shark Tank. We have Grayson Lace, who's a $27 million a year business now. And they went on the set just selling little socks with lace on them for to wear over your boot. You know, that's all they had, little products like that. Now they're a full line of women's wear. People eat that stuff up. They're so successful. Yeah, you know, we always have success on Shark Tank. That's why we call it the Shark Tank effect, as silly as it sounds. Because it's, it's as, <laughs> think about it, it's primetime advertising that you don't pay a dime for. <laughs> Gives <Yes>. you a boost. <laughs> yeah. And I'm always shopping. I'm literally like on my phone as I'm watching uh, the show and ordering things. Like I love seeing it. And so not on Shark Tank, but if you are presenting in person or now Zoom or digitally, what makes a good pitch? Well, you have to be believed foremost. You have to believe, be believed all right. If you don't come across as credible, it's and that's not the same as knowing your numbers. I bought into a lot of businesses that don't know their numbers. I don't think I knew my numbers. So I was in business eight years. Somebody had said, what are your sales? I would have said, can I get back to you? I didn't know. You know, uh, you know, what's your what, what is your net? I don't even think I knew what net was. How do you figure that? No, I don't think you have to know the numbers. That's like a uh, old wives tale that's circulated so well. Um, what you need to do is you need to come across as credible. Do I believe you when you're telling me this? Not that you're lying or I'm thinking you're lying, but how much can I trust you, believe you that you'll make it to the finish line? And what is that really? That's something about a gut pull. And a gut is only the most important thing in life. It's the culmination of everything you've learned up to that minute that's all melded into one gut feeling. That's what gut is. I don't know why people mistrust it and use their logic over gut. Every time I've used my logic or analysis ability to analyze something now that I know how to do this stuff, I've bought the wrong businesses. Every time I've trusted my gut and say, hey, I don't know why, but I'm going for it. Uh, it's always been a huge success. When Comfy came on uh, Shark Tank uh, two seasons ago, these guys had two handmade 
uh, oversized blankets with a hood in it, two wild ass guys singing a jingle, laughing, couldn't even get through their jingle. We were all laughing at them. Uh, what does it cost to make one? We don't know. We made these ourselves. What will you sell it for? We don't know. Where will you sell it? I don't know. <laughs> the worst pitch ever. Nobody bought in except me. Why did I buy in? Because something in my gut said, I don't know why. Something about these guys I believe in. And what do you think they are? The most successful business on Shark Tank. They have, uh, what, it was $280 million in sales this year? Wow. Three years later. Whoever saw that train coming? Not me. I just got lucky. They saw it coming. That's all that counts. They saw it coming. They believed it. And somehow I believe them. Even though they had none of the answers, they hadn't prepared. They even had to change the name of the company five minutes before they were on air because it was a conflict with something else. It was like crazy. All the wrong moves, and yet they're the most successful company. So I don't remember what, what your actual question was, Mariana, but hope I answered it in there. Yeah, that was perfect. And then you were talking about the finish line. So what, when someone gets an investment, what happens next? And how does an investor get their money back? Well, that's up to the investor in the negotiation. Uh, in my book, you either have you have two ways of getting your money back, and I'm a proponent of one over the other. One is you have a, a, a liquidity event. You sell the business. But most of these businesses on Shark Tank are very small businesses. Most of them are not in the technology space. Most of them are not sophisticated. They're mom pa operations. You know, they fill a purpose. They sell so much product. Maybe they could build it. Maybe they can't. But there's not really a lot of room for an investor. So an investor who wants to wait for a liquidity event will probably watch his, his or her grandchildren perhaps own the stock when they finally sell their pizza parlor, when the grandfather drops it, that kind of thing. You know, it's not like a really sophisticated thing that you could grow. But the best way to make money on these Shark Tank deals, and I don't even know if in the private investment community deals are done this way, but the way I do my deals is I always insist on a pro rata share, meaning if you own 100% of the business and I own 10%. When you take out $10, I'm going to take out a dollar. Or you take out nine, I take out a dollar. You take out $20, I'm going to take out two right away. So I'm truly your partner. And you know why I like that? Because you don't have to tell your entrepreneur, no, I don't think you should take more money. If they're taking more money, I assume they could afford it. You know, if, they, if they're taking bonuses, I assume they could afford it. If they're leaving money in to reinvest in the business, I assume their judgment is correct. And I don't complain that I don't get any payment. Uh, they run the business. But I think being in the same train as those entrepreneurs themselves on the pro rata piece, I think is the key, or I've learned it to be the key to make everybody happy and for everybody to win. I think that's great to know because I, I think sometimes when people either watch the show or they see people getting investments, they, I don't know if people assume it's free money and like people are just giving you money and then it just goes what into for? the business. But at some point in time, the investor has to get the money back in some sort of way. And you're, you know what else, Mariana? Uh, it's shocking to me on Shark Tank, outside of Shark Tank, that entrepreneurs forget to answer clearly in the pitch the number one question that every investor has on their mind. How do I make money? You think they're in love with an idea for being in love with the idea, in love with the growth of the business because they love growth? No. Their whole question is, hey, how much money can I make? How do I do it? So a lot of people come in and pitch and don't address that, which is the major reason why I think a lot of people walk away with no deal. They've just never addressed the main issue. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. And the people that don't get investments, when you get told no by an investor, what can you learn from that no? Well, you learn what rejection feels like, but you can't do a thing about that. You just take it in the chin, go home and cry and get back up the next day, right? But what you should learn 
is what you should have asked before you left the set or before you let the, I call it a set because that's the only time I see businesses. Before you leave the pitch, you should say, is there anything standing in the way of you investing in me? What a perfectly logical question. People are afraid to be confrontational. But if you ask that question, they've got to say no. And then you say, great, we have a deal and shake their hand. If they say yes, you get the chance to say what? <laughs> and you get a second chance at overcoming their objections. People don't say what their real objections are. You have to vet it out of them. And the easiest way to do that is to simply ask. Then you learn something from it. Maybe they come back and they say, I just don't believe you have the experience to really build the company as you are, as you envision it. And you could then have the opportunity to say, yes, but my partner right here has built seven, you know, my partner, you have at least a shot at overcoming the objection. If you don't ask, you'll never know. You just go home crying. And the only thing you've learned is what rejection feels like. And chances are you'll get a lot more swings at the bat to feel, to see what it's like again and again and again, because you don't know what you're doing wrong. Let's take a break to hear from one of our incredible sponsors, which I tell you guys about all the time because I really love them. It is Array. They are an incredible brand, incredible founders. Their founders were on an episode of my podcast and you guys should really go listen to them because I feel like you can tell how passionate they are and how they really wanted to create a brand and products that help combat these like issues that so many of us deal with. And so their love of the products and brand comes through not only in the podcast episode, but also the products they create. If you don't know about Array yet, they were created to help women feel their best so they can be their best. They've got targeted products, which are 100% natural, filler-free, organic, and formulated by a naturopathic doctor. They've got two supplements that I love, a calm and a bloat supplement, and they work in under an hour so you can actually feel your best. They solve these problems that we always talk about, which are bloating and <laughs> feeling anxious, and um, the calm really, really helped me a lot. So the calm supplements I use as needed and same with the bloat capsules. So for me, it doesn't matter for me with like bloat. Sometimes if I just eat something like broccoli or cauliflower or something heavier, I still kind of have that feeling. So it really just optimizes digestion with the use of five herbs and fruit-based digestive enzymes. I love it because it can really just give me food freedom so I can enjoy the foods that I love without any discomfort or gas or bloating afterwards. And yes, men can use it too. If you guys want to try it out, you can go to array.com and use the code Mariana at checkout for 10% off a one-time purchase or 25% off the first month on subscription. That's A-R-R-A-E.com and use the code Mariana at checkout. Why do you think failure is so scary and how do you not let that fear hold you back? Well, it does hold you back. It's the number one cause people don't do things because they're afraid. People will dress it up and call it all kinds of things. Why? And they're usually logical reasons. But the fact of the matter is they're just afraid. I mean, we all are. I'm afraid of every time I overextend, stretch, try something new. I'm afraid. You could probably think of five reasons not to do it versus the one reason you want to do it. And if you sit with it for more than a day, you'll find another 10 reasons not to do it and you won't do it. So I think that a good thing to do, or at least I consciously think of, is I think of fear as the front door. All that is the sign that says, come on in. I mean, you should be reading that sign, come on in. Fear is the front door. It's not a wall, it's a door. You can walk through it. You know, you have a choice. You either see it as a wall and you back up, which great majority of people do in most situations, or you see it as a door that you're going to walk through. And there's always a way to walk through it. There's always a way to get past your fear. Now, what you get for getting past your fear is you form a habit of doing it. So for me, I will often walk through the stupidest doors that have very little upside 
and get very little results. But you know what? I'm better off than most of the people out there because at least I'm in the habit of turning the knob and walking through the door. It's just not even an option. Like, should I go? Should I wait? Should I go? No, just go through it. Because if you get in the habit of constantly going through every door, you're going to have 10 times the results the guy is who's afraid to go through. The door's never open. So I think, again, you have to think of it as a door that you can open and go through, even without good results, uh, instead of a wall. And what you really get for that in a lifetime is you get into the, you get to be in the habit of always trying. And when you are always trying, that's where you get your confidence from. It's not from the success, as most people believe. It's really from the habit of trying makes you feel confident because you think, oh, I'll try it, I'll try it, I'll try it, and you move fast to try it. And that's a lot easier than thinking a long time about why you shouldn't do something, what could go wrong, oh my God, da, 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 da. it's more efficient, to, to say the very least. Yeah, I totally agree. I'm someone who just like pulls the trigger, and if I want to do something, I just go for it. If it doesn't work out, I'm like, it's fine. I just wanted to try and see what happens. And yeah, I've gotten lucky a few times. So it's worked out. Shot. Yeah. Um, and speaking of that, what traits do you think are important for an entrepreneur to have? Well, there's a long list and I think we all know them. I would start with resilience and everybody talks about resilience. So I hate to say it because it sounds so whole hum, but I think of resilience. I always have a picture I have from the beginning of time of a jack in the box. You know, it's it's a jack-in-the-box how I see myself. I see other people, good partners. Are they a jack-in-the-box where you push their head down, you twist the little musical thing, they pop up, and then what happens, right, if they pop up, you shove their head down again, you close the top, and they have to twist it again, they pop up. Anybody with a high IQ would lay low and wouldn't come out of the box. You know, you get your head smashed with that cover again and again. Why would you keep coming out? But entrepreneurs do entrepreneurs who are persistent do. And why is it so hard to keep coming up? Because it really hurts when you get your head hit. It's not like, oh, well, yeah, I'll do this. No, it hurts. Every time that head is hit, it hurts. So most human beings like to lay low if they're intelligent. Fortunately for us, entrepreneurs don't have the highest intelligence, in my opinion. They have street smarts, but they don't have high IQs. They don't have sometimes the smartest, survive, you know, analytical thing. Let me look at this and think about it. No, they don't. They're reactors. And so they just keep popping up again and again. So resilience, that kind of resilience, uh, not being so hurt by the slam on the head, I think is number one. Um, I think long-term passion is number two. Everybody starts a business really excitable, excited. Watch Shark Tank. Everybody like is jumping around. They believe, they wholeheartedly believe they mortgage a house. Uh, that's the easy stuff, getting in the gate and being a believer. But it's like the difference between a short-term marriage where you want to hop into bed, boy, is this exciting, and a long-term marriage when you say, if that guy touches me, I'll kill him. You've been married 30 years and you have to, you know, ah, one more week. Oh, my God. You know, we all come through uh, the rough times in marriage. That's what business is like. It's a constant effort to stay with it, climb a wall and make a good thing of something, you know. So that kind of long term passion, which is hard to judge. Remember, you're usually judging your entrepreneurs day one, day five, year two, year three. But go back and visit in 15 years. What kind of passion do they have? You really need the long-term passion. And then the last one, which is a bonus, you don't have to have it, but I like to have it in my entrepreneurs. I'm always looking for it, is you need somebody who's in some way injured in their life where they have something to prove, like a father who is an alcoholic, hated his kid, didn't give him time. The mother who struggled and the, and the daughter said, I'm going to take care of her when she gets old. She's 
the most amazing mother, it hurts her to watch the need that's not satisfied. Anything that uh, touches, uh, rips out someone's soul in their younger years is almost a guaranteed formula for success. If you could turn the hurt into revenge, you know, uh, when I, you mentioned earlier that I was not a good student, I was beyond not a good student. I was a kid that couldn't read and, and we were always to go up and down the aisles where you read out loud. Every kid in the classroom laughed at me twice a day. We had to read out loud twice a day. I was ashamed. I never said a word. I was so ashamed. Okay. That does a lot of, a lot of injury, but my God, has that helped me building a business? Because the minute I got into the workplace, I didn't have to read anymore. I just used my mouth. I'm really good with my mouth. I overcompensated with what I didn't have in school. I overcompensated in the jobs I had. I performed well in the jobs, just as poorly as I performed at school. Thank God I didn't judge myself with the help of my mother as being a dunce, right? She thought I was a genius. But when you get out, you compensate. So I think something to prove, uh, insult can be a wonderful motivator. You know, every time, it's kind of funny. I don't mean to digress. I have a 15-year-old daughter who has the same learning disabilities I had. And somehow, miraculously, this last summer camp, she came home and she was a tri-state champion in archery. I didn't even know she could hold an arrow. And I said to her, hey, how did you do it? You don't even know it. And she said, well, every time I aim that arrow, I was shooting it through the heart of Mrs. K, who told me every day that I needed help, that I wasn't going to be able to do the work. She said, I shot her through the heart every time. I'm like, that's not healthy. You need a shrink. But guess what? I love hearing that because I've been shooting Sister Stella Marie who told me I'd always be stupid my whole life. And I should, if she was alive, I'd kiss her feet for giving me that revenge and the motivation that drove me. You know? Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. I, I love that because I hadn't thought about that before, about turning those hurts into revenge and why people are so deeply motivated, because I think you do need that motivation to have that long-term passion. Yeah, you got to give it up at some point along the way or you're a sicko and you'll be spending all your fortunes on psychiatrists. But until you get to that point, not a bad motivation, insults. It's a wonderful motivation. It's heated. It's very heated. And I'd like to end with um, advice you have for women entrepreneurs in their 20s. I think their 20s, everyone's trying to figure out life. So any advice to give them? Yeah, take a chill pill. Don't take it so seriously. If you've just if you've decided you want to be a, in the PR business, go into it. Give yourself three to six months. There's no shame in leaving. And if it's not floating your boat, it's not going to ever float your boat. It's not because you have a low position. When you step in what you love, when you're even around it, where you could sniff it, you know it. So why hang around? I just believe your 20s are the time, your teens are. And if you could even do it from when you're 11, I did since I worked at 11. The sooner you work, the better. You get to try all this stuff and see what sticks. Again, I use the analogy of going in the department store and trying to figure out what, what looks good on you, what does. And you know the minute you put it on, you could walk around it for two days. You won't know any better that it looks terrible on you. You know it when you look in the mirror, right? You see yourself. That's what you got to do. You got to hop around, try a lot on, nothing so serious and ignore all the people that think you should have a life mission. It's such bullshit. It really isn't true. It really isn't true. You find your life mission by going out and playing in the traffic and that's what you got to do. Amazing. That was such great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And where can everyone follow you? You can follow me at Barbara Corker on social media and my podcast, Business Unusual. And of course, also my favorite, which is TikTok, because I get to wear no makeup and I look ridiculous and I'm much more comfortable. And I see you're <laughs> on Clubhouse now, too. 
Oh, yeah. Clubhouse is an amazing phenomenon. I'm just getting started. Watch it. It's my medium. It's my medium. Amazing. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to subscribe to my podcast and rate and review because it would mean so much to me and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what episodes are coming up next.